This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Ewan Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over. And I was trying to remember when I met Gabriel Bump, and I think it was at BEA back in the day. And it was one of those like, okay, we're both standing here and there are 8 million people. And oh, hi, right, that novel. So your debut, set in Chicago, Everywhere You Don't Belong, I had forgotten it was landing right as lockdown was starting. I had Somehow I'd convinced myself that it was 18 or 19, 2018 or 2019. And in fact, it pubbed in February of 2020, right as the world was shutting down. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to come back to that in a second. But your new novel, The New Naturals, it's three years later. I love this book so much. I love the new book. And a lot of other folks love it, too. Percival Everett loves it. Lots of folks have put it on their most anticipated list for the fall. So it's always really nice to see. Yeah, yeah. But I want to talk about where The New Naturals started for you? Well, it started not soon after I finished writing uh, Everywhere You Don't Belong. Okay. Um, So I was living in Massachusetts at the time uh, in Western Mass. And Everywhere You Don't Belong was my graduate thesis, uh, like UMass Amherst. And so there's all this, like, I don't know, again, I think I had uh, sold it by then, like it was on submission or something else working with my agent, not knowing really what else to do. Uh, I started like writing another book. It was a really like dark and confusing time in my life, which I, I guess we can talk about some more. And I think comes through like in the new naturals, like it's a lot of these just sad people trying to figure out like how to be happy. And we're coming back to bounce. We're yeah. coming back to that guy. We have to talk about bounce, but let's let's set it up for listeners. Yeah, and so the, the idea started, and like the, um, uh, a lot of this book is focused on this place, the French King Bridge, and this like abandoned restaurant, like on top of a hill uh, above the Connecticut River in Western Massachusetts. And so after I graduated, I was doing some teaching, like in Boston, and then down near like Dartmouth, Mass, and was just driving a lot through Massachusetts and living up in this town called Montague. And I'd cross this bridge, uh, the French King Bridge, uh, like a couple of times a week. And I was just like, oh, this is beautiful. And there's just always this like restaurant the top of a hill that like never, people never seem to like be going in there. Right. It always seemed like abandoned. I was just like, what's going on in there? Like what, what's happening in there? And so I just started coming up with these characters that are kind of wandering around Massachusetts. I'm like, okay, how do I get these characters into this place, like into this restaurant? And while I was just messing around with this idea, I was like, okay, maybe it's like a utopia. Maybe it's some kind of community where all these people find each other. But when I was starting in earnest to like write this book, my life just kind of like started crumbling around me. I experienced a really deep like kind of like scary, just a depressive episode um, ended up like just blowing up my life in Massachusetts, uh, moved to Buffalo. Oh, that's how you got to Buffalo. I never really understood <laughs> how you got to, I was like, <laughs> that's I the whole story. so I was just like, and I was in this really, I was just really unhappy. Like, okay. So I'm just going to leave Western Massachusetts. I'm going to head West. I just want to go like 
I didn't want to go back home, but I was like, I just want to get on I-90 and go. So I spent a few weeks in Chicago. I was like, okay, I'm not going to, I don't feel like moving back to Chicago. I don't think I would like focus enough. I don't know. I feel like I would just be whatever, being like wild and whatever, destructive. And so I rented this apartment in Buffalo, like above a coffee shop. Uh, and what I did uh, in a strange way, like I didn't even know that I was doing it, but I would just wake up really early, walk down to the coffee shop, write 500 words of this book and just write these characters like towards happiness and just see if it ended up working out for them. And like, I just did that for eight months and the new naturals came out. And there's more to the story, but we can like kind of yeah. jump in. Yeah, we'll get there. So yeah. we've got Gibraltar and Rio and Sojourner and Bounce and Elting and Buchanan. It's a much larger cast, but those are the folks yeah. we're going to focus on because they really do feel like the heart and soul of the thing. There's a lot of humor in this book, and I'm a big believer in dark humor fixing a lot of what ails us in many, many ways. And I don't know if that's a New England thing. As you were saying, you were driving from Western Mass to Boston and Dartmouth. I was just like, dude, you were what? (laughs) That's like three hours if you get the traffic going. You were covering a lot of ground. And certainly there are a lot of bridges and a lot of abandoned restaurants along that route. So the fact that you found one that was fascinating (laughs) enough to sort of ping on. But I want to talk about the cast because it's a really... It's a bit of a jump from what you were doing in the first novel. I mean, the first novel, we had a really tightly written, coming-of-age, tight cast, really straightforward POV. And here, we've got this sort of chorus of voices. And everyone's a little messy, and everyone's got their own experience. And we're not going to give a lot of stuff away. I think there are a couple of points where it'll be clear that folks are having some challenges. And and Bounce, certainly, we got to talk about that guy. But... I do want people to sit with this book because also you're covering a lot of ground and it's very short. I mean, this book is, I should have looked before we sat down, but. It's like 300 or something. I have a copy somewhere. If that. Oh, excuse me. You are, it is 295. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's fast. I mean, I've read it a couple of times now. I read it ages and ages and ages ago when it was still not even yet like a galley. It was, I think. Your publicist sent me like an eight and a half by 11 thing with a staple in the corner. He's like, well, you wanted it. <laughs> yes, I did. It's a big political novel and it's a page turner. There's a lot of heart. You're doing a lot. Yeah. And, and some of that uh, is, in, is intentional, like in the um, kind of creating of it. Uh, like I wanted this to be like a bigger book than everywhere you don't belong. Like for, this is like third person, like multiple perspectives. Too, right and so i wanted to do uh like the big cast multiple povs like working towards the center and it might have something to do with the fact that i was reading like war and peace during this time i said yeah. right, the peace parts like move pretty fast right like there's the war parts that can kind of drag on a bit I don't, like and i feel like that just perspective shift adds to some of the speed right because mm-hmm. like each chapter i think of these is an intimate moment with someone Right. Yeah. It's like, and like some of my favorite parts of this book are just when you have two characters, they're just sitting with each other, like talking about what they want from the world and like how they can achieve it. And like those are just like slow kind of 
boring set pieces uh, in terms of action. Yeah, except you picked up a really good habit when it comes to dialogue. And I'm not entirely, I don't know if it comes from school, if it comes from reading a lot of sports writers when you were younger, but dialogue matters to you. And it swings. And you're not actually, when you talk about these boring set pieces, that's actually not true because the way your characters talk to each other and around each other, and yes, it's fast, but it's also always pushing forward. So actually, it's more like these tiny, tiny set pieces that could come off the stage, and there's stuff happening. Yeah, and I and I think like I read a ton of plays. Like I'm like kind of obsessed with uh like it's strange. I don't really go see much theater in mm-hmm. person just as like whatever where I've lived and just everything. But I like read a ton of plays and I think that like dialogue is a really underutilized tool in fiction, right? Like uh, it can just do so much. When I think about so one of these scenes, all these like set pieces or whatever I call it. It's like, okay, so we have one of the characters named Sojourner is this uh, young, like, disillusioned journalist that was just, like, a relationship that's not working for, like, either people involved, right? So he's getting out. And then uh, Bounce, this character, this, like, failed soccer player who's trying to put his life together. Uh, and it's not really giving anything away, anything away, but these two people, like, meet each other. And thinking of this in, like, a theatrical sense, it's like, okay, we have our two main characters, like, on stage together for the first time. Like, how do we get the most out of this? And they just, like, let them be really honest and vulnerable with each other. And, like, I don't know, for me, that's where, like, the energy and writing, like, come from. Like, it's it's less of, like, a big uh, kind of dramatic scene, which I feel like my first book had more of those. Like, had more of, like, big kind of, like, many moving pieces, like, extreme scenes. But this one is, like, the real energy is in those, like, quiet moments. Uh, we can get to the like, core of somebody. Vulnerability is hard, and I think we don't pay attention to that enough. Connecting with another human being, loving another... like So much of this stuff is hard, right? We treat it like it's a warm, squishy thing, right? Yeah. Or it's a, a greeting card or yeah. caption on a social media post or something. And it's actually really hard to do and to show up the way your characters are kind of showing up. I mean... Rio and Gibraltar have their history. Rio is actually pushing sort of a lot of the story forward. But even there, like what you do in these very quiet moments pushes us so far ahead that there's room for the rest of the cast when they show up. Because none of these people would meet if it weren't for you and essentially Rio, right? Like none of them, none of of them would have intersected. And none of them would have bounced off of each other and created what they create. And again, yeah, it's a lot of sitting around tables and sitting next to pools and <laughs> you know, climbing in and out of strange corners. But again, it is, it's the dialogue. It's the revelation. Yeah. It's the genuine vulnerability, which is really hard to represent on the page. Yeah, and I think that that's why... The space I was in when I was writing it, I think, like, was kind of helpful. Like, I was feeling really vulnerable. Because, uh, like I was saying, like, I, I was going through this really hard time in my life. It was, like, being really honest about, like, all of my loved ones, like, all of my friends about, like, how hard this was. And, like, how, and, like, to varying 
like out like varying degrees, right? Of it, like you kind of like reveal more to some people than than to other people. But I think that like practice comes through a little bit in in the book. I think right or like in just this like interest, this interest in it, and like these different ways that we can be vulnerable. And it's so strange, like that even my perception of these relationships, I think, has changed, like from my writing to like the publication of it so i feel like at the first pass with this book like when i first started writing it like it was mainly about sojourner and bounce like kind of the younger characters okay right like these younger just lost people uh because when i was i think 20 27 or 28 when i started and, and like was just in this late 20s confused period that i think like these characters are uh, but now, like, um, the character that I feel closest to uh, is Gibraltar. He's, like, this, like, husband of Rio, this woman that wants to, like, start, that gets the idea to, like, build this place uh, underneath this restaurant in Western Massachusetts. And, like, the uh, like first drafts of this book, like, Gibraltar was, like, just kind of this background character that was supporting sojourner yeah i just wouldn't have expected that because he is such a piece he's yeah he's the grounding in a lot of ways because he is like i felt like he was sort of leading me through because there were moments where he was like i have no idea what's going on i don't know why i'm here yeah and i'm kind of like okay but if you're confused then i feel okay about being confused because i'm not sure this is gonna work yeah (laughs) and i don't mean the novel i mean the the things that happen in the novel yeah The, the voice of the novel works but i did have moments where i got so attached to the character so i was like wait a minute wait a minute and and gibraltar really was that guy who kept me grounded in the story in a way that you know rio's rio and sojourner's sojourner and bounce is bound like and he was kind of like well yeah, and I think every story kind of needs that guy. Totally. Right? Like that like the guy that just kind of is holding all the strands together. Like Lucy. And like we, we need those people in real life. And I, I guess what what I was saying is like on this personal level, I viewed Gibraltar as like just doing that. Right? Like he's just the guy that's like holding the threads together. Like I didn't really care about his motivations or or anything, but um like this, the, didn't care about his motivations. Is in like I cared more about the other characters, like what they yeah. want in life. Uh, and with Gibraltar, it's something has changed this past year that like maybe is obvious to me, but I think also just comes with maturing. But when my wife and I like went through this horrible like tragedy, this and I guess we can talk about that too, like how this relates. As uh, comfortable as you are, we can absolutely yeah. bring it up. Yeah, no, totally. It's, it's your. It's you, Here's the thing. This is not autofiction. I just really want to be clear because yeah, yeah. there is no, kind no, of this, yeah. you know, there is a little bit floating in the ether sometimes, especially with black and brown writers, that it's auto, like it's automatically yeah. autofiction. And sometimes it happens with young women too. And it's just kind of like, well, yeah, you do pull from your experience, but ultimately what you're writing about is the emotional piece of it, right? And trying to put words to the thing that you have experienced that you did not previously have words for. And it, but it doesn't mean like you sat down with your journals and like wrote an novel. No, no, not at all. And I feel like even my relationship with Gibraltar and Rio is actually like so interesting. It's like, I 
like wrote these characters before I don't know before I like experienced like child loss, right? Like I, I like wrote these characters and things that happens to them like four or five years ago, right? And it was just this thing in the plot that like was that was happening, uh, and for us to experience it this year and like to look through like this was happening when like I was doing kind of the final like copy edits of the book and like I remember last fall I was talking to my editor because I found out that Lauren my wife was like pregnant and I was looking back at the scenes where like Gibraltar and Rio like find out they're pregnant and like their happiness and I remember telling Kathy Poirier's my wonderful editor I was like I was like Kathy I think that like I got this right like, I was like, I couldn't believe, like, I think I got these feelings right, because I was going to look back, back at them. And sadly, I felt the same way when they lose their child and, like, we lost our baby, Simone. And I was just like, in that moment, Gibraltar puts just his whole self aside. And I was like, I'll just do anything for my wife. Like I would just do anything, right, for to make Lauren feel happy and secure. I say, yeah, man, you want to go build a compound like in a mountain somewhere? Like, yeah, let's go do it, right? Like, and it's just that that kind of emotional connection is what I'm thinking of, like to Gibraltar now. I think as authors, our relationships with our characters uh, does evolve. Like, it, it does change over time. Uh, like when I look back in my first book with Claude, I used to kind of really, even if I wasn't that person, it was like, okay, like I could deal with that. Like I understand that person, how he's looking at the world. And now I look back and think back at that book and I was like, oh, that's just a kid. Right? And, you know, it's interesting. Also, I love the way you describe Claude as sort of being very unexceptional. Yeah. And that's so important though, right? Like all of the cast of the New Naturals I mean, ultimately, they're unexceptional. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. we all know these people. We, every single one of us knows someone who is, and that's part of what I love about it, because as much as you're taking this big, again, big political novel, you've said it yourself, you wanted to write this big sort of sweeping epic novel, which you do, and you take on so much. But ultimately, it's about the people. And they're all recognizable. and. They're all very ordinary in the best possible way. And that's part of what I love about fiction, right? Like, you can sit with a book and spend as much time or as little time as you want anywhere in it. Like, I mean, we've all been there when we've read through, like, we've read around stuff in books because you just, mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, don't agree with that. That's fine. I'm going to move on. Or you read, like, little kids do this, right? They reread and reread and reread and reread and reread. Great. If you figure out how the story works because of that, that's awesome. But the idea that you can sit with a narrative voice that isn't necessarily yours and still find the truth of your life in someone else's narrative voice is pretty great. I mean, it's a <laughs> wild trick. Yeah. If you think about it, yeah. it is a wild trick. I mean, here you yeah. are talking about War and Peace. Like, when was War and Peace written again? 18-something? Uh, it was the 18 six years 1870 something i don't know okay but you understand what i'm yeah exactly I mean, exactly you're yeah. writing about america in the present day right your first novel is set in the 90s still i mean not 
technically historical fiction, but some people do say <laughs> that, you know, 30 yeah. years. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> no, no. But I mean, you're writing about present day America and yeah. yet here's an influence. I mean, you've talked about Finnegan's Wake in the past. That's another mm-hmm. sort of touchstone for you. And like one of Ishiguro's experimental novels, The Unconsoled, I'm like, okay, you're pulling from all of these different places, right? Plus your MFA, plus everything, but you're pulling from really wildly... Disparate? Is it disparate? Yeah, maybe disparate is the word. Maybe, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about Finnegan's Wake, though, and I'm like, Warren, Finnegan's Wake, not as disparate (laughs) as I would like, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, here you are, you grew up on the south side of Chicago, like, you went to the lab school at the University of Chicago, and then you went to the Art Institute, and then, you know, you got your MFA in Western Massachusetts at UMass. And um, the idea that you're building off of that, right, all of this stuff that came along before you, you could have said Augie March, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I know Stuart Dybbuk isn't also an influence for you. So I'm just, I'm just thinking about all of these things that you're pulling from to give us the new naturals. I mean, it's hard to really differentiate, like, what is influencing what i think mm-hmm. right like, yeah. uh, uh like in, in the actual like writing of it uh but i can say that yeah like war war and peace in a way even like dead souls like the, the big okay. russian books even though like the new naturals just like isn't like that right i think that that's the thing it's like there is like the influence in the crafting yeah. and it can come from these like masters of like structure right like mm-hmm. master games like it's cool like that's you know that's what the that influence does but then at like on the sentence level i think it's probably maybe particularly in this book like a writer like adam levin yeah uh, who is my professor at the art institute and solely writes these big well he has one short story collection but like solely writes these huge like tomes of Mm -hmm. books right but then even in those like tomes of books it's like every every sentence means something uh like every every character uh like feels in some kind of genuine way that you can recognize uh and it makes the whole process seem less intimidating when you like set out and just okay like sentence by sentence here's the exciting thing that's going to happen uh here's how this person's going to like feel today here's how they're going to grow like here's kind of the epiphany that they'll have it at some point. I think like we were saying earlier, like you can't ignore the personal history. Uh, even though I don't write, like it's like you said, like auto fiction, like I don't write auto fiction, like at all, like even, um, even in my first book, right. Which occurs in my neighborhood, right? Like it's almost none of, none of me is, is really there or, or my experience. So, I don't know, even if, like, the emotional influence is there, uh, it's, like, kind of setting that in in action uh, mm-hmm. with these characters. It just makes this wonderful, cool, like, convoluted mess, right? Like, it's, like, <laughs> like writing novels I don't is convoluted like, is the word you want. I don't think convoluted yeah, is the no, right no, word. I'm all for I'm all for real life on the page. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe your characters do what they do. I mean, and and certainly yeah. Elting and Buchanan, they have their own journey, right? And yet, all of it makes sense. Like they are exactly who they are, and that arc goes exactly the way you ex- you would expect. And 
there's a moment towards the end of the book where, you know, we meet some folks again, only they're in Michigan this time. And it's like, oh, yeah. I The minute you gave us that sentence, I was like, oh, hi. It's good to see you. You know, the way the story circles back on itself and, and the way we get a form of resolution, right? Like, messy people do still get resolution. It's not like we're not looking for perfect pat endings or certainly... Happy endings can be defined so many different ways. But it's really satisfying, this book. It's really satisfying because you give us just enough humor and ridiculousness so you get to exhale, right? Because there's a little bit of stress in this novel. But you deploy the humor in a way where it's not like, oh, right, now we're being funny. It. I want to talk about craft for a second because you clearly have changed something in the way you work between the two books. And I can't quite put my finger on it. I think the dialogue certainly is moved up. I think you're letting the quiet do what it needs to do. But then there's something else that's going on. So let's talk about your process for a second. Yeah, what uh, what I think it might be, because I can't like quantify like a step up. Or, yeah, no, no, no. I'm not like, asking you to do that. But, like something shifted, <laughs> dude, something yeah. shifted. And I like, I just can't put my actual finger on it. What I think it is, is interiority. Um, if like I'd have to put it down, I think I'm a lot more comfortable with having my characters like just be alone with their thoughts Okay. in a way that like with everywhere you don't belong, I don't think I was yet or like it, the book didn't like call for it. So with everywhere you don't belong, I mean, you get the whole story is from Claude's perspective and like he's kind of uh, shielded uh, from interpreting the world, like just by kind of his age, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. like he's just remembering a lot of stuff as a child. Like this right. happened, this happened. A lot of it is just this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. These people said this. These people said this. And there's a few moments where Claude like really gets like deep into himself. Like those moments kind of had to be dragged out of me by like both my editors and like my professors. I think like. Um, Jeff Parker, I think of one at UMass that I was trying to get it, but I was really just reluctant because I was just like, no, I just want these people like acting and talking. Like that's what the book is. Uh, this one, even though it's in third person, like for it to make sense, we kind of had to really let people be alone and like think about stuff. Yeah. Right? And like, uh, and kind of reach to, reach to that profound, right? Like try and, uh, and like with with bounce, I think particularly. So like mm-hmm. so bounce is this um, so failed like former soccer star that's kind of bouncing around, can bouncing around, can't like can't get his life straight. Everything he does uh, ends up messing up. Uh, by the time we meet him, he's living with his uh, living with his sister, and there's something wrong with him that like he has a hard time articulating. And even like the narrator has a hard time articulating because mm-hmm. he's just like in a bad spot, right? Like maybe it's like alcohol related, maybe it's depression, like anxiety, maybe it's just a sense of like failure because his life hasn't worked out the way that he wanted to work out, uh, fear, insecurity, like all these things. There's just something like not working with him. And I feel like in, in this book, I really wanted to try and find out what that what that is yeah. in him 
Whereas in Everywhere You Don't Belong, uh, there's this football player character named Chester Dexter, right? Who like actually has I remember. like one of my favorite, like one of my, personally my favorite characters. Um, he's just your prototypical. Uh, like there's some moments where he like gives insight to actually being not as strong as he presents himself. But like Chester Dexter is kind of following the same trajectory as Bounces. It's just we kind of meet Bounce in his like mid to late 20s. Yeah. So if I had to think of like just a basic like craft difference and how it shows up on the page, I think it is just leaning more into interiority, uh, leaning more into the character's motivations, Mm -hmm. right? And like trying to trying to get to the heart of how of how these people feel, how these people like want to get better, right? Like right. what is, what is wrong with right. them and how they want to get better? Right. I feel like there's, uh, yeah. I really liked being in Sojourner's head. Yeah. I mean, not that I'm picking favorites, mind you. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have different reasons for liking the, all of this cast, but I did particularly like rolling around in the back of her brain as she was figuring mm-hmm. stuff out. She was kind of right behind Gibraltar for me and the whole like, is going to work yeah i can't keep i can't keep doing what i'm doing but i'm not entirely sure how to move forward like i mean isn't that the question that most of us ask on a regular basis (laughs) yeah or or like i'm trying to make a difference like i'm not making it doesn't feel like i'm making a difference like so sojourner is doing uh she's like this reporter at this small uh newspaper and she's trying to like do real investigative reporting, like around environmental justice, like trying to influence these huge systems that seem really hard to like influence if you're just like a reporter in a small place. And like, I feel like we can all in some way relate to like that tension, right? Between like our work and purpose, like our goals, like what makes us happy. And she also is like just in this relationship with like this self-involved like doofus which i think a lot of us can <laughs> either you've been on like one side of that thing you know everyone in some way can hear either the doofus or this to gender i'm sure i've been both uh, in my life <laughs> but i mean those reasons i really love sojourner right and like i yeah I, like i feel kind of with sojourner as i felt with uh, claude and everywhere you know like i feel like sojourner could have carried a book like on her own oh completely oh yeah 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 no completely yeah yeah no 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 actually here's the thing any of these sets of characters you know i sort of presented them as the three sets any of them could have been the soul of another novel without a doubt it's just i like the collision i mean this okay the serendipity these people just never would have met yeah if it weren't for your novel and then of course you know there's the benefactor and the money and all of the things that can happen when there's outside money thrown at a problem which is like kind of how we i don't know like a lot of times we like try to solve solutions uh-huh. and for me like having this trillionaire benefactor come in okay i'll do this thing for you like i just knew that she was gonna get bored like when i introduced that character i knew exactly you know, and that doesn't give away. It would not have been true to the character had she not gotten bored. Yeah, I think we've exactly. all lived in yeah. the 21st century long enough <laughs> to have seen. If you are paying attention at all, 
yeah. in the world. It doesn't matter what your thing is, attention spans and other assorted things. And when you have the luxury of deciding that maybe you would prefer to do something else. You've written a weirdly hopeful book, and that's not what I was necessarily expecting. And by that, I mean, I'm going in, I'm wildly entertained, but also I'm thinking because it's you. And again, a lot happens, but it is, it's hopeful. It's really like, yeah, you did a thing. You did a thing. <laughs> you did a thing. Well, um, I mean, and I really appreciate that. Well, thanks. Thanks, me. Well, I, I appreciate I mean, we live in a weird moment, right? We live yeah, in a weird moment. Yeah. We're driven by grief and fear and, and anxiety. Like, so much is in flux and upside down, and so much is broken and wrong right now. And you've just created this novel where it's like, yeah, everything is broken and wrong and upside down and inside out, and yet we can still get to the other side. And I think, and not to like just keep kind of pulling this work of fiction, like back to myself. But like, I do think that it's, it's really important for me to frame it. It's like, I was just in this totally hopeless spot when I was writing this book. Like, and it's not even being, I'm not even like exaggerating by saying, like, I thought that this book was going to be the last thing like I did on this earth. Where, like, that's just kind of how I felt. I was like, okay, I'm going to write this book. I have... Uh, this was before Everywhere You Don't Belong came out. I think it was almost like, you know, so, okay, so I have a two-book contract. I'm going to write two books. Uh, and then I just wasn't thinking about being around, right? And like, by the time I got to the end of this book, and it's not even that like the writing of it cured me, it's that like life kind of healed me. Right? Like being around people that I love, uh, being in the great city of Buffalo, <laughs> Having having ready access to to great chicken wings at all hours of the day, uh, like and the way that like I got hope out of this hope hopeless situation that I felt I was in uh, was through like friendships, was through like family, right? Like was um, uh, through like people kind of caring and and listening and. Uh, you know, some like self reliance, right? Like, so I'm like, okay, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna get better, right? Like, I'm gonna do things that like help me get better. But I mean, you just really can't do any of this stuff alone. And I think that that's why this book, like, the the collective of it is, mm-hmm. like we said, like each character, each pair of characters, maybe could carry a whole novel, uh, but like together, they they kind of make this whole thing work like the collective is the point of it right it's like not everyone's going it alone like that's kind of the point of it i think we saw that a lot too you know i mentioned your original book tour was canceled essentially for the first novel because of lockdown and everything else and i think we saw how a lot of us responded by coming together closer and other folks had a rougher go of it because they because of isolation because of you know really you get to go back on the road for this book, right? Mm-hmm. So you get to go out and talk to strangers about what's been rolling around in your head for more than a minute. And I do, I'm really looking forward to seeing how readers respond. Like, it's been nice seeing you pop up in all of these roundups where it's like, of course, we're looking forward to this. And it's like, yes, yes, we are. I really, really, really want to see what readers have to say. Before I let you go, though, two yeah. things. All right. Yeah. We're going to start your career as an influencer because did I buy this because of you? <laughs> Um, did I not know what I was getting into? 
Correct. So Leon Forrest, Divine Days. I think this is Christmas. I think when I get a little downtime from the show, but Gabe, I blame you completely. I I don't even remember why. I don't know if it's for the next book or if you were just doing your thing. And I was just like, okay, that looks really interesting. And hi, it's three and a half inches thick. (laughs) Yeah, you're not the only one. What's it good? I mean, how would we even describe this book? I don't don't even know where to start. I literally was just like, okay, Gabe's reading it. I'll give it a word. So it's like the uh, it's like the Chicago like uh, kind of modernist like epic, right? Okay. Like, and, but like different than Ulysses, it's a little more kind of straightforward in its in its craziness. I don't know if everyone has to read it, <laughs> but I think that uh, I've I haven't even finished it. Right? I mean, okay. it's like I take breaks, I pick it up and go, but I have about a couple hundred pages left. Also, East of Eden tattoo. What is this I'm reading about an East of Eden tattoo? Speaking of giant epic American novels, <laughs> yeah, I went through like this really intense uh, Steinbeck phase when I was in college, which I respect. And I mean, is, East of Eden yeah. actually is a great novel. Like, Grapes of Wrath is the one that keeps getting taught, and I'm like, yeah. but actually, East of Eden. Is a better book, and even some like Steinbeck's slimmer, uh, like proletariat novel, like in mm. *Dubious Battle*, is like a really yeah. good, like book. Uh, but so it's on my shoulder. We're recording, so I can't take my shirt yeah. That's off. okay. <laughs> that's fine. You can just describe it, Gabe. It's fine. <laughs> it's actually, and it's this weird. Is so it says "Thou mayest" on it. Oh, it's like okay. Imshal. This is the thing that they say in East of Eden. Yeah. So it's thou madest above. Uh, it's like a, a sketch that um, Jack Kerouac did. Now I'm revealing all this <laughs> stuff about me. <laughs> so in other words, your 18-year-old self is right there on your shoulder whenever yeah. you want to remember. <laughs> I know, you can't run away. You can't run that's, away from- <laughs> That's exactly what it sounds like. My dude has a similar story. It's not a it's not a Steinbeck yeah. dude, but he has a similar story. And it's his 18-year-old self, right? <laughs> I actually still recommend people get the bad tattoos you want to get, whatever. <laughs> I, I do whatever you need. I listen. I just, I just want to read a lot of really great books, and I'm delighted you're back with a new book. That's really. Oh, I've been waiting for this book. I knew it was sort of in the ether, yeah. and, I was, and I kept poking your publicist, and he was like, "You have to stop poking me. I'll get it to you when I have it." I'm like, but you said he's like, "I'll get it to you." <laughs> yeah. But it's it, it really as a reader. And certainly as a bookseller, too, it is so much fun to be able to say, oh, right, here's the first one. And again, you won the Ernest J. Gaines for it. It's not like suddenly you went from writing with crayon to, you know, here's this massive American novel. They sit on a continuum. Yeah. But to be able to see where you are now, and I'm thinking, oh, what does this mean next? Like, (laughs) so I, I assume you're working on maybe a draft of something kind of sort. I mean, you teach... You have all sorts of stuff going on, but I'm assuming there's another book somewhere on a computer, maybe. Oh, yeah. Well, there's. Okay. I have a, a third book under contract with uh, Algonquin. Okay. Uh, okay. So, like, so... With, with the same editor. Okay. Uh, and that is, uh, the way I'm viewing it, it's like this trilogy of my uh, sad people trying to get happy. Novels, so like the you know that is the stuff of great literature. You know, 
<laughs> this is why people read. <laughs> I know. And, like, and, I feel, and I'm working on this new thing now that I was like, okay, it's going to be different, but I think it's all the same. Uh, but the, the third book is my uh, kind of love letter to, to Buffalo. This like this okay. strange place that I hold really dear to my heart. Um, yeah. That's so when it good. comes out, I have no idea, but it's, it's there. It's there. It's okay. it's, the draft is there. It's all good. Dude, we can be patient. You have lots going on, including yeah. a book tour, but lots going on. Gabriel yeah. Bump, thank you so much for joining us on Port Over. The New Naturals is out now. Everywhere You Don't Belong is out in paperback. And sooner or later, we get the third book in the unofficial trilogy. But it's so good to see you. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, man. It was so fun. Thank you for listening. Board Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.